You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Nehemiah chapter 10. And uh, we're going to read the first... The, we're not going to read this whole list here. This, this chapter, as I was studying this chapter, I, I really... Um, I, I really came to the point where I had to split it into two. And, and so tonight we're just really going to be looking at uh, the first part uh, with, the, with the list of names here. And we're not even going to read all the names because um, I'm not sure that that does us a lot of good. And I don't, I'm not sure I want to embarrass myself that badly. Um, but I, I just want to take note of what they're doing here. Uh, we've, we've been in Nehemiah for an, uh, a while now. We're, we left off two weeks ago uh, with the people coming through a time of revival. They, they've just come through this revival where they really want to get where they need to be with God. And so they, they get to the point where they're ready to make a commitment. And I, I love what they do here. Look at the end of chapter 9. It says, uh, at verse 38, it says... And because of all this, and we already went through that text twice, and because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. Now, those that sealed were Nehemiah, and then you've got all of these other names. And so I'm not going to read them all, um, but look down in verse nine, or verse 8. It says, Maaziah, Bilgei, Shemaiah, these were the priests. So you've got priests. And then in verse 9, it says, and the Levites. And then you've got Levites listed there. And then you've got pr- the rest are princes or, or they're leaders of, of the children of Israel. I, just, I do want to point out um, verse 15. Um, you've got Bunny there. And I just thought that was a great name. Bunny. <laughs> He, I'm sure I can envision him hopping down to sign, and sign this covenant here. Um, now you know how you know how a strange mind works when he's studying by himself. Now look down in verse 28. You've got this list. It says, "And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone." Having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and enter into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our our Lord and his judgments and his statutes. And I'm going to stop reading right there. And I know that's a strange place to stop reading, but I just want to take note of what's happening, um, that if, if you want change, which isn't that what we're looking at here? We're looking at the children of Israel for hundreds of years. They, they were in their hundred and something years in captivity. They've finally been able to come back to Jerusalem. They finally finished the work on the wall and they're finally coming through this big revival service and they want change to happen. And yet they realize that if change is going to happen, they have to do something significant. They can't just say, okay, 
now that the revival's done, let's go about our business. No, they say, no, now that the revival is done, if we want to see change, we have to do a couple of things. And I'm calling it tonight after the amen, you better make it personal. After the amen, you better make it personal. Meaning that, yes, once everything's over and the service ends and, and everyone goes home and that last amen is said, if you don't make it personal, you'll probably never experience change. And that's what I want to look at tonight. Our last few messages, again, have been on revival and They've spent hours in God's word. They've spent hours in, in confession. They've humbled themselves. They separated themselves. They worship God and they finally get to the point of making a commitment to change. And we come here and they're making a commitment to God. They're going to take all that preparation and all of those conditions that, that have made revival ready. And the, that all the focus on God's word, literally spending hours reading it. Hours explaining it, hours applying it, and they take all of those preparations and their humility and their separation and their confession and their worship, and they say, we better turn this into something tangible because we don't want to miss this moment. We better apply this. We better take seriously this moment we're in because all of this preparation better turn into production. You know, and that happens in our lives where you've experienced that before. I'm sure that uh, you spent a lot of time preparing for something and you're finally just ready for it to happen. I mean, if you're, I, I was thinking about uh, Gabe and Stephanie this, this morning and, she, and she's back there holding Brielle today. And uh, uh, I was just thinking about them, how I would ask them probably too regularly, Stephanie, are you ready for this baby? Are you ready for this baby? I'm sure she just got tired of it. You know, there's only so much painting in a nursery you can do. There's only so many clothes you can go buy. There are only so many things you can do to prepare for a baby. And you get to the place, ladies, right, after, after the, at the last couple of months where you're just like, just show me a baby. Give me the baby now. You can't only prepare for so long. If, if you've ever studied for a test, you know, you study and you study and you prepare. And eventually you say, I don't think I'm ready, but it's just time to go take the test. If you're preparing for a home project, at some point you have to just get started. You can't just keep putting it off. Well, you can, most of us do, but you, at some point you just have to get started. And that's essentially what's happening here. The preaching and the teaching and the confession, they're done. They've just finished praying the longest prayer in the Bible. And now it's time for something to be produced. And here's the thing, revival in our lives, revival shouldn't just produce emotion. See, a lot of times people think that revival is an emotional high and it's running down the aisles and it's getting all excited. And I mean, well, that's how it, not in South Dakota, but in some places in the, I mean, they run down the aisles for nothing in some places, but you know, just the excitement that comes in the, the revival, you know, that's revival. No revival is not about emotion and it's not about excitement. Revival is about change. That change is produced in our lives. It's one thing to be revived in a service, but it's another to humble yourself and separate yourself from the world and confess your sins and worship and make a commitment to God. Uh, but when you, make up, when you wake up the next morning, that's when you actually have to do something. It's not in the service that it's usually difficult. It's usually the rubber meets the road on Monday morning when your alarm goes off. 
That's when change must be produced. That's, that moment is usually our issue. It, it's not as hard to find motivation when the word moves in your heart or when you hear a message and God uses a truth to pierce your heart and, and motivate you. This, that's the scripture having its effect. You hear the word, you know you need to change, you humble yourself, you confess, you worship, and you make a commitment. That's not the hard part. The hard part is the next morning when your alarm goes off or when you're tempted to watch television instead of reading your Bible when you get home or when you wake up uh, or when someone says something and that you're tempted to respond to. Those are our troubling moments. It's not so much during a church service. It's after the amen that most of our issues are exposed. And so rather than just get excited and make non-committal promises the end of chapter 9 says they make a they make a sure covenant and they write it and the princes and levites and priests they seal unto it see they they're not content with just getting excited in the service they want it to translate when they go home so they make a decision and they write it down and they sign it and i believe we have a great example of what to do after the amen here they do two things that, that we're only going to look at one tonight, but they do two things that I think help them after they amen. They make it personal and they make it practical. They make it personal and they make it practical. And tonight we're just going to look at making it personal. But I have to ask before we do, are you tired of being moved and stirred but not changed? You ever grow weary of hearing something and thinking, boy, God really moved in my heart about that. But the next day you find yourself just right back where you were. Well, the first thing that we need to do after the amen is we need to make it personal. See, they sign their names. And they literally get out a scroll. And, and they line up and they literally sign their names. Like, like they're signing the Declaration of Independence. I mean, they literally sign their names and it starts with Nehemiah and you know they're serious when they put their names down and I don't know if this ever happened to you but you ever I'll, I'll just I'll, it's clickbait is what it is you get on and you say how would you like to do this or take this test or find this out so you click on it and you click a couple times until you get to a point you said want to see the results just enter your email how many times did that happen to you and how many times have you said click off I'm not giving you my email. Or you sign up for something and they want your phone number like my daughter in the Bahamas trip this morning. Like, no, I mean, you know you're serious though when you take the next step and you say, here's my email. Here's my phone number. That's a big deal. We know that these men were serious because they signed their names. They, they signed it. And not only that, it says they sealed it. And to seal it is to make an oath with God. This is official. This is real. They're not playing around. They're personally invested. And it's kind of like getting volunteers for something. You know, it's one thing to say, how many of you would be willing to help with outreach? And people raise their hand. And then you put a sign-up sheet and say, okay, Saturday at 10 o'clock, put your name down. And suddenly, you know, the, out, the hands go down and the volunteers are suddenly nowhere to be found. I'm not, blame, I'm not saying that's the nature of this church. I'm saying that's human nature. That's the way we are. You know, when we say we're interested. We say we'd like to be involved. But when it comes down to it, putting our name down is one, uh, another completely different thing. We don't necessarily operate, though, like this with God. 
You know, we say, well, we need to make some contracts and have people sign contracts with God. No, no, we sign our name to contracts all the time. If, if you've bought, bought a house, if you have a cell phone, if you've got internet service, if you have utilities in your home, hopefully you do, especially this week. Um, you, have, you know what it is to sign a contract, but we don't do that with God. With God, it's different because our relationship with God is a father-child relationship. And I, I, we're supposed to operate... Like I said this morning, we operate out of love for God, not out of obligation, not out of duty. I mean, if with your children, uh, you don't want them to obey your house rules because they signed a contract, a behavior contract. I mean, maybe it comes down to that at some point, but you want them to obey because they love you. I mean, even Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, he said, be careful about making oaths or swearing. He says, we operate out of love for God. And, and, and our yeas and yea should be yea and our nays should be nay. There, that should be enough motivation for us to, to make it personal. Second Corinthians 5 says that the love of Christ constraineth us. I mean, the, our love for Jesus Christ is enough to compel us. And, and so signing a contract isn't necessary for what we're doing, but I do think that the principle is good in that if we're going to get serious about change, then we should take some steps toward change. We should make it personal. How do we sign our name and seal our decisions for Christ in this day? Well, again, make it personal. Apply the message to your life. When you hear preaching, we say we're good at saying they really need to hear this message. When a message starts and it's on, um, you know, it's on putting your clothes up after you wear them. You know, you're looking at your spouse, wives, right? And you get elbow happy. Like, I hope he's listening to this one. You know, we're really good at hearing a subject, a sermon on a subject and thinking, oh, boy, I know who really needs to hear this tonight. I really hope, and we're kind of looking across the sanctuary, thinking, I really hope they're paying attention. I hope they're in here because they really need to hear it. We tend to get loose with our elbows when we hear a good message because it's good for the person next to us. But no, it's not just good for them. It's good for me. I need to apply it. I need to make it personal. No one here, listen, no one in this story, we're not told, we're not assuming um, because it doesn't sound like it, but no one here signed somebody else's name. They signed their own names. This commitment to God was for them. They were making it personal. Nehemiah was the first person to commit to change too. By the way, change starts, I believe change does start with leadership. And I, I don't even at any chance or any time think that change has to start out there and, and I'm above it. No, leadership in a church setting or in God's work, change should start at the top. And by the top, I don't mean my value. I mean just the position I'm in. And, and I'm not afraid. I mean, if God um, is dealing with me, listen, I need to desire revival. I need to desire change. I need to seek the Lord and do those things necessary to experience change and revival. And one of the things that I do every week is I spend time meditating when I'm getting ready to preach. Not because I'm thinking, okay, oh, how can I apply this? How can I apply this to, to Pam Nelson? I mean, that's a long exercise usually. <laughs> no, but I mean, if I get so busy applying it to Pam um, and I don't apply it to myself first, I'm telling you, I'm missing it. 
And I, I spend a lot of time thinking about how messages apply to Jason Jett. That's where the change really starts. And I'm, but, but on the other hand, I'm not the only leader at Eastside Baptist Church. See, there's a lot of husbands out here and there's a lot of fathers. And there's, there are mothers and there are older members and there are influential members. We have teachers and we have heads of ministry and we have deacons and we have trustees and we have uh, teenagers. We have some older teenagers. And you think you're not a leader, but you have influence. You know, we all have responsibility to lead by example when it comes to our response to God's word. And sometimes I wonder if we set trends, generational trends, because of our habits when God's word is opened. Meaning, you know, how do you listen? If people watching you were to follow the way that you listen when preaching is going on, what would the next generation look like? If those coming behind you responded invitation like you responded invitation, how regularly would people respond at invitation? If you're setting the trend, say we need to take inventory that, that I need to make. It's not just about everybody else. I mean, people are watching me. I'm talking about you. They're watching you and you have leadership and you have influence. And the way that you open your Bible when the preaching begins, that makes a difference in somebody. They're seeing that. The way that you respond or you don't respond, it makes a difference in somebody. See, change wasn't just dependent on Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't the only one that signed this. By my count, there were 84 that signed their names and made an oath. 84. I do think we sometimes assume that maybe it's all dependent on the leadership or it's all dependent on the pastor to make change happen. But that, it's not biblical. This is a church body. I mean, if, if we, all we had was an eye, we might see well, but we wouldn't get much done. I mean, read 1 Corinthians 12 if you think the responsibility of a church rests solely on these two shoulders. It doesn't. The leadership position, although it matters, there's more than just leadership or just one individual required to see change take place in a church. In God's word. This list, this list includes Levites and priests and leaders. And I mean, we see a list in verse 28. The porters and the singers, the nethanims, all of them. I mean, it even talks about their wives and their sons and their daughters. Everybody that had knowledge, everybody that could, they were involved in this decision. And then they didn't all sign it, but they were all aware. They were all taking personal responsibility. And we should all take seriously our call to sincerely respond to God's word for the sake of change. So, so how are you doing? When it comes to God's word... When it comes to God's word, and, we're gonna, and when it comes to uh, being all in in God's work... How are you doing? I mean, just think about how, what this looks like in our church. And I, you know, I could stand up here and present an idea or try to motivate change, but a whole church must get on board if it's going to happen. And that's, I'm looking at that list and discipleship. I'm telling you, I'm thankful for that list that people are willing to get involved. And I'm thankful that people are saying, I mean, you're putting yourself out there. I mean, you're saying it may be uncomfortable, but that, you know, I've never taken anybody one-on-one and taken them through discipleship material and helped them to grow as a Christian. I'm not really all that comfortable, but I'm all in, and I'm thankful for that. But just imagine how long it would take if the only person in this room that was passionate about discipleship was, was the pastor. 
and it was my responsibility, then I'm just going to decide. Every person that comes through the doors that wants to be a part of our church or that joins our church and wants to grow, I will personally take them on a journey of discipleship one-on-one and I'll meet with them every week. You know how long, you know how much of the week would be taken up with discipleship if it was just me? I mean, it would not be possible for that to get done. It takes a whole church. And I'm grateful that we have people signed up and willing to be a part of it. I'm thankful that we have people willing to do it. And it's just a prime example of the fact that you don't, uh, if, if we're just looking at one person taking care of it, we're talking about addition. But if we're talking about multiple people taking care of it and being involved and taking ownership, we're now talking about multiplication. And multiplication, it adds up a lot quicker than addition does. It multiplies, and if you've got one person here, and one person here, and one person here, and they each disciple one person for 14 weeks or four, four months, whatever it is, and then those people then go out, take their own books, and disciple somebody else, I mean, suddenly you're multiplying in such a way, and you've got a church full of mature Christians. And I, I'm thankful for the example that we have even right here, right now. But, you know, I'm thinking about outreach. If, if it's up to one person to reach our city, how long would that take? Have you seen all the new apartment buildings going up in Sioux Falls? I mean, if you drive across from the west side of town and you come across 57th right now. And you look to your right and left. I mean, hundreds of buildings. I mean, it seems going up everywhere. Uh, if, if it was one person's responsibility, you know how long it would take to reach all of them? But if we as a church would say, no, as a church body, I'm going to make it personal. And I'm going to get involved and I'm going to take some door hangers. And, and as soon as I'm not going to get frostbite in five minutes, I'm going to be out there again. You say, even if you say, I, even if it's third, I mean, even if it's in the 20s, you know, in the 20s as a South Dakotan, that's a, it's balmy. Okay. It's warm. I'm just saying we, we, we should take it so personally that we're not going to let somebody else do our part in the Great Commission. Amen. We've got some areas of need in our church and, and, and work. And I'm just using this as an example because it's, you know, it just seems like it always comes up. But I'm just thinking about like in the nursery. It seems like there's always a need for nursery workers. And, and listen, if I could, I'd help in the nursery. Um, I, I don't know that I could do both at the same time, though. I want our services to be focused on the Lord, and maybe even just as important, I would love if the same people didn't have to work every single service in the nursery. It's important enough that we do it every service. We have, a, we have child care, we have a nursery, but if I can't do it, and the same people shouldn't have to do it every time, then I think what we need is some ladies at East Side to say, I'm going to take this personally. I'm going to make it personal. It's a need. It's something that needs to happen. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. I'm going to offer my assistance. I'm going to offer my help in that ministry. And listen, you could make a difference. We have other areas of need. I, I'm just thinking, just throwing some things out there. They're not all so obvious. You know what I'd love? I'd love to have an organized and well-working greeter ministry. When people walk at Eastside, into Eastside Baptist Church, they see smiling faces welcoming them. Walk in, and I mean, I looked out there this morning, I was thankful for it, but as a bunch of grumpy looking men with big beards, I was like, we need some smiling young lady faces out there that say, don't, they, they don't say go away, they say, come on in. 
You know, I'd love to have just an organized and uh, an organized ministry where somebody walks in the door and they walk in and they see friendly faces and they see couples and they're saying things like, welcome to Eastside and how can I help you? And is it your first time? And let me show you where to take your kiddos and your classes this way. And, and would, you, would, would you like to sit with us? And what are you doing with lunch? And, and I'm not creepy, so it's, it's okay. You can sit by me. You know, that sounded a little bit maybe overwhelming, but I'm telling you, I think we, we, we would probably need to go more toward that ditch than the ditch that sometimes we're in. Somebody walks in, and from the moment they walk in, there are people there. It's like, how can we help you? They take them to the Welcome Center where we have people standing behind the desk and ready to greet and welcome them and have them fill out a guest card and say, okay, here's a map of our building. Here's where you take your kids. You go this way, and then you go this way, and, and here's there's this person here will take you where you need to go, and they'll even sit with you in the sanctuary if you want, and they feel like not just that they're being told where to go, but they're being hosted the whole time. If you've ever been in a church that does it like that, you think, well, they really care about me here. And I look around the room and I think we have enough people at Eastside that we could do that. But, you know, it's not it's it's we've got other people that serve in other places and it's going to take somebody that that can do it. But I'm telling you, somebody in this room could take that process to a whole new level. I think about. Outreach again, and I think about new move-ins in Sioux Falls. Again, we've got so many moving in. Uh, our population last year grew by 5,000, and, and uh, we're almost 200,000 people, as I was saying this morning in Sunday school. That doesn't account for those that moved into other communities in our area. It also doesn't account for all the ones that moved out and then were replaced. So I'm telling you, tens of thousands probably of new residents in Sioux Falls in 2020, when COVID was taking place. And I'm thinking, I mean, who is their first contact when they come into our community? You know, it'd be great if somebody had a connection to know, okay, here are the people that are moving in. And when they move in, Eastside Baptist Church has a contact with them when they come in. And I'm thinking, I don't know that I have, I, I, I could try to make that work. I'm not sure that I, I, I have the time necessarily right now, but if it's important enough, I'll make it happen. But I'm also thinking we have people in our church with real good ingenuity and they've got connections. And I, I just imagine there's somebody at Eastside Baptist Church that could see about making that happen. You know, we need help in certain ministries. I can't do them all. There are other people that are involved in other things and they can't do those. But maybe God wants you to. It's time to be willing to sign your name. Make it personal. I mean, get involved, get serious, be faithful. I mean, don't just assume that somebody else will do it. Don't assume you're not equipped to do it. If you have a heart for it, God obviously wants to use you in some capacity like that. See, that's how you make it personal, is that you stop assuming that it's somebody else's job and you ask God, is it me? Make it personal. That's how you succeed after the amen is that you think through the truth enough that you apply it to your life. So tomorrow, what am I going to do different? How, how, else, how else can we do the equivalent of signing our names and sealing it with an oath? Well, you make it personal, but then also I believe you also can make yourself personally accountable. See, if you're having a, a tough time seeing success after the amen, 
I'm going to talk about response to invitation now, not just in areas of service, which I think certainly applies, but I mean, we've, we've just come through a service here in Nehemiah, and if you're having trouble uh, seeing success after the amen, meaning that you make a decision, but it just doesn't follow through, or you respond and, and, and maybe it just doesn't happen, and maybe it's time to bring somebody else into the process. See, too many Christians, I believe, spend too many years with no measurable change. And I just want you to examine, if you've been saved for any length of time, just go back a year and just see, are there measurable changes and differences in your spiritual life today compared to last year? Are there measurable spiritual differences in your life today compared to five years ago? I know newer Christians would definitely say, well, yeah, there definitely are, but though I'm talking about us oldies. Those that have been saved, those that have, of us that have been saved for 10, 20, 30, 40 years or longer, is there a measurable difference in your spiritual life right now to five years ago, to 10 years ago? And yet I look back at all the times that we've responded at invitations, and I think, what happened to all those decisions? I mean, we respond, and yet there should be that much change, and yet there's not. And I believe it's because if you have a big decision, we somehow think that we've got to make sure this happens on our own, but I'm not sure that that's the way it's supposed to go. You say, well, it's just too personal to bring somebody into a big decision, but wait, we're a church family. I mean, that's the kind of involvement families have with each other. I mean, I'm going to, this is totally going to embarrass Audrey, but... Um, but this week, you know, Audrey, she's been saving up and she bought her first car this week. And we're all excited. I mean, we're just too excited. She's like, Mom and Dad, I mean, just my first car, you know. But, you know, I called Aaron when we were on the way home after we picked it up. And this guy just, it was a blessing. I mean, we went and worked, talked to this guy. We walked, we walked up to the door and knocked on the door. And he's a homicide investigator for the Sioux Falls Police Department. And, um, and so he, I was, whew. so I was like, I hope he doesn't like read into anything. Cause we walked up there and, and he looked at us and he must be a good judge of character. Cause he just said, he gave us the keys and said, you'll take it for a ride. I mean, on Craig's off Craigslist. So I'm glad Audrey looks trustworthy. So, <laughs> so we went and took it for a ride. We took it to let Brother Heath look at it, and he said, yeah, I would say this would be a good candidate, and it's been at the, um, there's a lot of little things to fix on it, and I think Stephen has probably been working on it this week, and over at the garage, and that's okay, but it's her first car, and we were excited, and I called Aaron on the way home, and, and when we got home, we, the garage door went up, and uh, Aaron and all the kids were in the garage, and they were cheering. <laughs> I don't know, that's just a nerdy family thing to do. But you know what? Your first car is a big deal. And she saved up for it and she bought it all on her own. And, and we got there and the guy, after we, you know, we drove it and there were a couple things that we had to fix. We got back. He said, come on in. Just sit down. I want to talk with you. And, and he had, he had a low, pretty low price for it because it had a few things to fix. He'd already taken those things into account. And then he asked Audrey, okay, well, what do you think's a fair price for it? And so she, we had talked a little bit. She him hawed. She didn't want to insult him, which I was like, thank you. He's a, a homicide detective, so he knows where to hide bodies and stuff. So, <laughs> so she, she gave him a number, and he said, how about this? And he went underneath the number she gave him, 
and sold us this car for way below what it was really worth. And you know, as a family, we rejoiced in it. It's a small thing. But we rejoiced in it. And it may feel embarrassing, and I don't mean to embarrass Audrey tonight, but, but that's what families do. They share in those kind of experiences. And so I don't know what you're struggling with or what decision you're trying to make or what is in your life that doesn't need to be or what you need to work on. But listen, this is a family. And if you're struggling to get through something, families share with hurts. Families share in big decisions. Families share in big moments. Families share brokenness. Families share heartaches. Families just, they share And if you're part of Eastside Baptist Church and you've closed yourself off off to your church family, well, it's no wonder that we've stalled in our Christian growth. Because we're not supposed to do this by ourselves. The easiest way to be accountable is to pray with somebody. And even if that's embarrassing and even if you don't want to and even if you think it's just a silly decision and it's not really worth it, no, listen, tell somebody about it. Ask them to help you with it. And I mean, I'm just thinking about the couples in our church. And I mean, if you've got something you need, go to Brother Chad. You know, go to Miss Lisa and ask him to help you with it. Teenagers, seek out Brother Heath or Miss Diana or some adult in the church that you, that you know will give you good counsel. Ladies, ask a, a, a lady in the church that is mature, has been married for a while, that would give you good counsel and advice. Men in our church, tell a man you respect about some struggle you've got and let's kind of knock the walls down and let's be a family. You say, I'm just uncomfortable with that. That may be the reason that we're stalled out. God intends for church families to be the place where we grow together. Ephesians chapter 4 is all about how a church grows together and builds each other and ministers and helps complete each other. Galatians 6.2 says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Too many of us have an island mentality. And I don't mean like right now you wish you were in Hawaii, although it doesn't sound too bad. I mean, our island mentality is I can do this on my own. First of all, you can't. Spiritual growth is meant to take place in a community of believers. But second, you're not supposed to grow that way. We need each other. So get off that island and embrace the love and help and challenge that you'll receive in your church family. One more application tonight and then we'll start to wrap it up. Another way to make your decision signed and sealed So it counts after the amen is to pray publicly. To step out and pray is one way to let people know this is an important decision, that you want it to count. That's signing your name. That's sealing it. And listen, I know this this could be uh, taken wrong. I know that, that coming to pray could be done proudly and it could be done for attention. But I'm not sure we lean toward that ditch here. Yeah, I'm also not saying that you have to pray that way every single time, but when's the last time you did pray that way? And I don't look for altar results as a way to prop me up, and, but sometimes I do think it makes a statement about our sensitivity to the Lord. And I hope that some of you do more business with God than you indicate at this altar. I mean, I've never, some I've never seen move, and I'm not asking you to. 
I'm simply just making sure that we're examining that. Because if not moving means that God's not working, then we need to talk. And I, I might, you might say, well, my business with God is private. And I agree, we shouldn't be like the Pharisees. And we shouldn't be shouting our spirituality from the mountaintops. And, but what do you make of what's happening here in Nehemiah? So I, I know that we, you know, we're not supposed to be proud about it, but this is happening together. They desire change, but Nehemiah doesn't send everybody away into the privacy of their homes to make the decisions. No, they do it together. They, they do it publicly. And, and how do you explain what I preached a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 14? And we let passage when it talks about being convincing as a church member, in that it says, if, they, if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, 1 Corinthians 14, or one unlearned, it says he's convinced of all. Meaning something, something is convincing him about the people around him. And thus, he said, it says, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And here's the response. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. I mean, that's a spiritual experience for somebody that comes in unsaved. So that verse here, listen, follow the logic. That verse says that the natural response when an unbeliever hears preaching and and the secrets of his heart are made manifest, the natural response is for him, an unbeliever, to fall on his face and worship because of how convincing that church service was to him. So if that's a a biblical and natural response to preaching, and and that's a biblical and natural response to having the secrets of your heart revealed and being convinced that God is present in the people around you, should we be content if we only ever see non-believers do that? See, honestly, it doesn't happen very often in unbelievers. Seen it happen some, a few times, but not often. And I wonder if it doesn't happen often in non-believers because it also doesn't happen very often in believers. See, I think we've grown maybe complacent. And I know this could be self-defeating. It could be, this could not serve the purpose I'm hoping it to. I'm hoping that you understand I'm not looking for a response tonight. I'm simply trying to change the mindset. See, we live in a culture, in a part of this country, this part of the country, we're pretty private. And yet, the natural response of an unbeliever, if he's convinced, and the secrets of his heart are made manifest, is to fall on his face. And yet, some of us haven't done it in years. It's natural and complete humility to fall down on your face in response to prophecy or preaching when you gain a clear view of God... And the secrets of your heart are being dealt with. If an unbeliever, if that's his natural response as a believer, when's the last time that was your response? So listen, it's not about me. I I think it's about being biblical. And I'm not preaching for more response. I'm preaching for a change in mindset that the work of God is personal to you. Both in your service to God and in our services for God. In ministry, during preaching, in our communities, that this should be personal. The preaching should be personal. You're not a spectator. You're a participant. 
As a member of Eastside, you should be so plugged in that you might not have to sign a contract and seal an oath before God, but you're willing to get personally involved in ministry, to take personal responsibility in faithfulness, and to be personally engaged and responsive to what's taking place when our church family assembles. And here's the, in a nutshell, the more personal you make it, the more change will be produced. The more personal you make it, the more change will be produced. So you want change? Tired of being stirred and not changed? Make it personal. Here's the application. If you want change after the amen, after the amen make it personal. Here's ways that you can do it. Get involved. See, assume that some ministry, that some ministry needs should be filled by you. Pray about every ministry need. I mean, be the first to volunteer for everything. And you likely won't be called on to fill every single gap. You can't. But God will reward a spirit like that with some great opportunities. Next, be a participant, not a spectator. See, don't be content to let others get involved in our services. You greet guests. I've been challenging you like this for a while. um, But know every name in your section. Did you do that this morning? Did you look around, literally, physically, in your section this morning? Did you look around and say, okay, I know them, I know them. That couple back there, they've been here for a few weeks. We have some that come every Sunday morning. And I, and I, I mean, just about every Sunday, I hear someone asking, oh, what's your name again? That's great. At some point, though, they shouldn't be asked that anymore. They, we should all know. If, if they've come enough. So let's make sure that we are getting names in our section. And that shouldn't have to be a program. That should be just something we do because we're making it personal. We're not spectators. We're participants. You greet the guests. When the song service starts, you sing out. You come in here. Not, and listen, this is important. I, I really believe that you know, the more people in our church that are in here together, the less we miss on. You know, sometimes we kind of get in the habit of, you know, we're in the hallway or we're visiting or we're doing this or that. No, if you're here, be in here. Unless you're, unless you're on ministry list somewhere and you're maybe doing the hall monitor or nursery worker or Sunday school or junior church uh, on Sunday mornings. But listen, people that take it personally view it as their role as an active member of the church body to be here and be in here. So come on in. I mean, it's kind of like if there's a big family event and, and you don't want to miss it. Encourage your church family, you know, especially men. Encourage your church family. Be in here. Know what's being preached. Know what's going on. Uh, when we have times of prayer, pray with your church family. I mean, that's, that's taking it personally. Another way to take it personally, make it personal, is to respond when God prompts you. And if you've grown complacent to responding to God's word, deal with that. Now, you should assume every message is for you. See, if I'm being honest, as a pastor, last week, Brother Leidick preached, and, um, you know, I got to sit and just sit <laughs> last week. And I loved it. I mean, it was nice. Don't get to do it very often. And hear somebody like Brother Leidick, who's got years of experience. And I, I responded both both messages. Sunday morning, I did, we, we had a baptism, so I didn't Sunday morning, but I wanted to. And I responded Sunday night because even as a pastor, 
I rarely sit and listen to a message and think there's not one truth in that sermon that I could use. I, never, I don't think that. In, ju- in every, just about every sermon I've ever heard, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I could do better. And God, will you help me do better? Maybe I'm just less spiritual than you. <laughs> or maybe I'd rather err on the side of making it personal because assuming it's not for me, that's my natural response. And honestly, we should, be a lot, we should not be very inclined to trust our natural instincts. If, our, if it comes naturally for us to say, yeah, I don't really need that message, then, here's, then we probably ought to think the opposite and say, I probably need every message. And let's be responsive. And it, I mean, you don't have to come to the altar to pray, but I do think there are plenty of benefits to pray here as opposed to your pew. Another way to apply this, utilize your church family to help you confirm a decision. Don't be too proud to get some help. Don't be too proud to get some accountability. It would help the strength of our church if we were more willing to do that. And then if you make a decision, make a plan. You know, too many times we make a decision, but we never get specific. And, and we never come up with a plan so that decision is solidified. You know, this is the first way to succeed after the amen. It's to make it personal. And next time we're going to look at the second half of the chapter and how it applies to success after the amen, which is to make it practical. But tonight, I just want to ask you, are you making it personal? Let me ask you, do you take your role at Eastside personally? Are you personally involved? Are you personally invested in people? Are you keeping track of our guests? Did you notice that we have a guest family that's been coming really regularly on Sunday mornings? They weren't here this morning. Did you notice? Are you personally interested in people's lives? Not just guests, but, but members. Are you personally reaching out to people? Do you come in here and focus on yourself? Or do you come looking for ways to be a blessing to somebody else? Do you take it personally to know people's names? Are you personally all in at Eastside Baptist Church? If not, my prayer is that you make it personal tonight. And say, I'm not here just because I have nothing else better to do. I'm here because this is my family. And I'm all in. Because when everyone was willing to make it personal and sign their names and seal it like an oath before God, it was not till that point that, that Israel had revival The more personal you make it, the more change will be produced after the amen. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and let's make sure that we do business with the Lord tonight. Are you making it personal? Is it personal for you? Are you a participant or are you a spectator? Are you all in? I mean, when we have something, are you, are you right there with everybody else saying, I'm involved, I want to, be the be- I want to do the best I can. If we have a need, I'm going to be available for it. I mean, whether or not I'm the right person for it, I'm going to volunteer because that's my heart. I'm all in. I want to make it personal, and I want to make it personal all the time. Every service, every ministry. Now, listen, I know it's not always going to be easy. But is your trend to make it personal, or is your trend to be kind of a spectator? Are you all in? I hope you are. And if you're not, I mean, there's no reason that can't change tonight.
Let's make it personal. Father, I thank you for the, the passage. I thank you for speaking to us. And I thank you for the example of Nehemiah and these men who were willing to put their name on a list. And God, I need me to talk about the fact that putting their name on the list put them at risk. Because they had plenty of enemies in the land. And yet they were willing to do it because they took this personally. God, help us in your work to make it personal. Apply it how, how you will. And help us, Lord, to not just be motivated by a moment here, but motivated to change tomorrow. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.